0: Welcome to Work and the Future, a podcast about tomorrow with your host, Linda Nazareth.
1: Well, we're all used to interacting with one another in person, at the office, at meetings, just casually. And particularly when it's in a business context, we know we have to present ourselves well. Now, we know about the firm handshake. It's kind of a thing of the past right now, but it was always important. We know we have to look attentive at meetings. That was kind of part of the past though now we're communicating in different ways and increasingly we're interacting by video conference the rules for that are very different being on video whether we're talking about zoom or microsoft teams or anything else is really like being on tv and to be on tv you need to think about specific things like how to present but also about lighting about how you look about kind of the superficial part of it and you know maybe it is superficial But the thing is we're now using technology to communicate in a different way And we have to think about different things and different skill sets and some of them may seem uh, Superficial or at least very different from what we've gotten used to I think we need to accept that the future of work is going to require Different skills and it may not be enough to just be great at your core job if that ever was enough Now to talk about all of that today we're going to be joined by Nick Daly. He's an expert in communicating and how he coaches people how to do that well. He talks to us about communicating in general, but also about giving presentations, being effective at that. And importantly, what do you do in the Zoom world where it's all about video conferencing and we have to get our minds around the idea that we're video stars, whether we want to be or not. It's a really interesting discussion. Please stay with us. So, we're in this new reality. All of a sudden, we do not just have to be good workers, we have to be good performers. Now, what are the rules of this new game? To talk about that, we're joined now by Nick Daly. He's the president of Intentional Communications, and he's all about getting people to present with intent. He joins us from Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Hi, Nick. Hi, Linda. Good to have you here. I should say we go way back. I was in media for many years, and when I came into it fresh from having not a lot of experience, you were the first media coach I had, and you taught me a lot of things.
0: Well, I enjoyed it very much, Linda. I I remember those days quite fondly.
1: Yeah, And, you know, it's interesting because, as I say, I came from a background where I had done some media, but I wasn't on television all the time. And you don't think about how it's different for someone to hear you and see you from a television screen than it is to see you in person. But there are differences, are there not?
0: There absolutely are. And I want to go back to the word you used a moment ago, which is performance. And I think that word is fraught with a little bit of trepidation for some people. Uh, if I'm in business and I know my stuff, is performance something that I should shoot for or that I should try to get good at? My point is that performance really isn't a scary thing. It's something that we all do every day. We communicate differently with our best friend than we would with our boss, than we would with our colleague. And so we fulfill roles and we do it quite quite naturally so that role fulfillment is the same thing as performance in a certain way so it's not something that should throw people to think of the necessity of on some level being a performer
1: so when people are now on video conference calls whether it's zoom or microsoft teams or whatever else in a sense they are performing for an audience in a different way than if they were in an office
0: they they are they're it's it's much much different from talking to someone communicating with someone face to face and it's easy to understand why if you think into the whole process when we talk to someone eye to eye face to face we take cues from the other person and we get accustomed to it and so we get to we all get to be experts at communicating face to face with each other now when the face goes away that's something pretty fundamental. Because of that, we tend to feel a little ill at ease looking at that camera, trying to communicate with the camera rather than a face.
1: Okay, so if somebody is new to this, they're suddenly at home working, and now they have to do all these conference calls, what's the first thing to think about?
0: I think the first thing to think about is how I'm going to come across, how I'm going to come across to those people who are seeing me and hearing me. The the point is, I'm a product, we are all products, and so we all have our brand, and our brand is affected by everything our constituencies, including our audiences, including the people we have to communicate with remotely, assume about us, and all they can know about us is what they see and what they hear. So the first thing I would suggest people undertake to improve is what their shot looks like take a look at what your audience sees if the background is dull and uninteresting uh, or uh, simply unclear that is it's just not clear what i'm looking at back there is it in the shadow is it uh, identifiable or not make sure it's clear and make sure it supports your brand
1: Well, that's interesting because I think you may get a little bit of pushback here because people will say, you know, I'm not that shallow. Really, it's about what I say. I'm really good at my job. I have skills at what I'm supposed to have. You know, I'm not some actor worrying about whether I look good in the shot. What would you say to that?
0: Here's Here's the question to answer. Your colleagues, people who know you, might be influenced by all of the wonderful things and all of the wonderful interactions you've had before. But if there's anybody on that call who's a stranger or doesn't know you very well, all they can know about you is what they see and what they hear. Now, I think we could all agree that I can be smart, yet in the way I communicate, not come across as being smart. I can be well-informed, yet By the way, I communicate not come across as being well informed. So, the way I communicate and the style in which my audience sees me, including those ancillary things like a background, make a big difference as far as how my message will be received and how well it will be accepted.
1: Okay, so you think about your shot. What would you suggest is a good background?
0: You know, I think. As long as a person thinks about it, if it represents who they are and, and, and what they do and how they want to be perceived, it's probably good. It's probably good if it's not cluttered, if it's uh, well put together, if it's a, a bookshelf, let's say, um, with a, a book showing or some book showing that support their interests and their audience's interests um, it shouldn't be overdone, and it shouldn't be false looking so it's a bit interesting, Linda, and in some of this uh, some of these considerations we think about doing something a little bit false. Let's say a person is not naturally well put together yet if they what? want their background sorry if they want to make a good impression they straighten things up that might not be exactly who they are so they're being a little false there but they're being false in a way that supports the genuineness that they want the viewer the audience to see in other words they want to be perceived in a certain way everything the audience sees should support the way that they want to be seen
1: so you're kind of like dressing up for a job interview every single time
0: In a way, yes. In a way, yes. And the same goes for lighting. Is the background lit? So that there's there's no question about, oh, there's that thing that I recognize, rather than it being in shadow. In the same way, a person's face needs to be lighted in a way that uh, represents them well, and you might as well represent yourself in a way that's flattering. That is, if there's a big shadow on one side of the face, it's not very flattering and it's not very easy to see 100% of your face. Why do I say 100% of your face? Because if you expect your audience to, here comes that word again, to see you as honest, it's not a bad idea to have 100% of your face visible and to have your eyes out of shadow. Everyone knows these things, they're pretty basic, but for some reason, it's not the first consideration when people are building um, a style of making a good impression when they're communicating using uh, remote media.
1: Okay, so do you think, I mean, I would say invest in lighting, because I learned that from television. Do you think that for anybody at home who just does occasional Zoom calls or whatever, they should be thinking about actually purchasing lights?
0: yes i do and it's not as scary maybe as it sounds because it's it doesn't have to be expensive there is a particular type of light that i recommend i really like it and its form is a ring Uh, this is pretty easy to find on amazon and other places and it doesn't have to be professional grade this ring of light permits a person to put the camera behind it and shoot through that ring so it knocks off shadows let's say that well in my case time <laughs> has has caused some differences to occur in my face so that let's say if i had an eye bag and the lighting was coming from above that eye bag makes a little bit of a shelf it casts a shadow beneath it and that's why anybody knows it's there if the lighting is direct such as with these circular light rings it the light fills in where there might have otherwise been shadow and so nobody knows i have uh, uh, a, 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 a little uh unusual thing under my eye that uh, that really is an eye bag
1: so you put that behind your laptop behind your phone
0: You put it behind the, well, I I use a little auxiliary camera, and I put it behind that auxiliary camera. Uh, Otherwise, you can put it behind the laptop, yes.
1: Okay, let's talk about where to put
0: the the laptop behind it.
1: Put the laptop behind it. Okay, let's talk about where to position the laptop, because we see some strange shots when we're on Zoom calls.
0: It's so understandable because people get used to things. And one of the things they get used to is using a laptop on a desk in front of them at the at the level of the desk. So with the camera shooting up, it tends to do two things. It tends to make my neck disappear because think about it, uh, it, it shooting up on me, my my torso sort of fills in the space between my neck and my head, and so my neck seems to disappear. It's just an odd look. So if that camera is... Oh, I said two things. The other thing, besides uh, messing with the proportion of your head uh, compared to your body, is that it tends to make the audience member looked down on... I'm looking down on the camera because it's on the desk. And so the overall effect is making the audience feel looked down on and nobody likes that.
1: So you've got your shot. You are well lit. What about the actual way you speak? Is there something different that you would say for video conferencing rather than when you're just at a meeting?
0: Well, no, it should be the same. But that's the problem. There's a lot about looking at and reacting to a camera that pulls us out of that communication moment that we're so accustomed to, talking to someone face-to-face, and makes it different. I don't know if that's quite so clear, but let me clarify. When I look at a camera and not a face, yet I want it to look like and come across as I'm just talking to another person's face, talking to the camera... I don't feel it's incumbent on me to do all of the things I do when I'm talking to someone's face. We communicate a lot with what our faces do and facial expression and gestures and all of that. Now, if there's just a camera there and I'm not getting a response from someone else's face, I don't work very hard at getting that response because I'm not going to get it. It's just a camera. As a result, What people tend to do is shut down a lot of those tools that are so natural and that we depend on in the communication loop.
1: Is there any way that if you're a manager, say, you can get people to react to each other
0: better? I think there is. And I think the chief among the ways to get that happening more and more effectively is to make people aware of it and to shoot for it. Um, now, you might ask, uh, how will people know if what they're doing is working? Well, you have to look at the result. Nobody likes to watch themselves on video, but it's a great idea to. Why? Because you want to be objective. You want to see how you're coming across to other people. And that objectivity is available one way and one way only, and that is for you to make yourself a part of the audience. So, You watch how you did it. If there are going to be things that you liked, there are going to be things that you didn't like. Uh, Look toward the future. And if you didn't like it enough, of course, you might be able to do it again if it's recorded. But if it was live, you might only be able to say, I'm determined next time I'm going to fix this and this and this. I'm going to take that monotone that I used, and I'm going to use more highs and lows we talked about facial expression but but vocal dynamics are another thing that tend to get killed now any of us who have kids or have ever tried to put a child to sleep reading we know that the child doesn't go to sleep if my reading has a lot of ups and downs in it <laughs> right they they do go to sleep if my Style of speaking is more in a monotone. And that's something that we all need to keep in mind when we're meaning to be interesting to our audiences, yet using a voice that's a monotone, it tends to put people to sleep.
1: That's interesting. You know, we've been talking about video conferencing, but post pandemic, maybe it won't all be about video conferencing. We'll still have to get in front of audiences, though. And that's something I do more or less for a living. But for a lot of people, that's terrifying. And you do try and coach them through that, correct?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. There's a, a, a good approach, and it's a mental approach, but it makes so much sense. If you try to put yourself in the mindset of, all of my needs are secondary. Standing in front of an audience or a camera, my needs are on down the list how am I feeling? How am I doing? Will I like this? Will my boss be impressed? Will I get a promotion? All of those questions are me questions. And even if my heart is in the right place, I want to do my best. My concentrating on how I'm doing tends to keep me from concentrating on the audience and whether or not they're getting it. So the point is, if you can look at, if you can put yourself in the mindset of solving people's problems for them, of doing your service to help people solve their own problems, and that's why you're talking to them today, you'll zero in on them and you'll put your own problems secondarily, and you're able to put them on a shelf for a moment and relieve yourself of the problem uh, uh, of the challenge of being nervous, thinking constantly about yourself and how you're coming across, you know, those thousand voices that come into your head.
1: Well, give us some examples of how best to do that. Is there practical things people can do?
0: There are practical things. One of the most useful ones is to speak in short declarative sentences, By short declarative sentences, here's what I mean. Come to the end of a period and stop after a sentence that's pretty short. You don't want a sentence that separates the subject and the object with lots of other words. For one thing, it's hard to keep up with that. By the time you get to the object, you don't want your audience going, "Now, what was it we were talking about? So, the sentences must be short and there must be a strong period at the end. In that period, you will breathe. Many people, when they get in front of an audience or a camera, tend to go on and on with a sentence, and they tend not to breathe at the end of a sentence. As a result, people have to breathe or they'll faint. As a result, you wind up breathing mid-sentence. And that breath mid-sentence tends to inform your audience that you're not quite in control and that you're somewhat breathless. You always want to represent yourself as being in control.
1: How do you engage an audience? What keeps them interested?
0: It keeps an audience interested to talk about what they're interested in, in a way that is interesting. I want you to picture, not, I, I can't show you a Venn diagram, but I want you to picture a Venn diagram. One of the circles is labeled information. The other circle is labeled an experience. You want to bring the audience an experience, and those two circles overlap. The information, if it's pure information and nothing else, you might make the argument that you could simply hold up a copy of the newspaper and let people read the information themselves. Well, that's no good you need more than that. What you need is, to augment the information, you need to offer the audience an experience. Now, if you offered them only an experience without good information, that wouldn't be good either. But where those two circles overlap, that's where it's interesting, genuine, memorable, authentic, useful. Is it clear? I, I tried to uh, I tried to draw a picture of that Venn diagram just with words. Did that work okay? <laughs> it
1: did. Uh, no, I get it. I speak on economics, for example, and that can be pretty dry. So I try and give examples of what companies are doing, or countries, or how this has worked, or you know, give people an idea of perhaps the practical ways something can play out. Because as you say, to say you know GDP is going to go up three percent over the next year, kind of meaningless in itself.
0: Exactly, I really love aphorisms and examples. It's it's an example of an example when I used the comparison a moment ago to reading to a child, and how monotone tends to put them to sleep, and a vivid, interesting voice tends to keep them awake. And I think those types of examples that draw out experiences people already have is a very good way of vivifying the concepts that you're trying to get across. I have one more uh, that I really like that I think is pretty vivid. I'd like to share with you. And it goes to the point of nervousness. Do we have time? Absolutely. Picture a neurosurgeon. This neurosurgeon is someone who's practiced neurosurgery for, let's say 10 years. They're good at it. Along comes a procedure that's brand new for this particular neurosurgeon, and he or she is going to have to perform it. Well, there's a protocol for developing the skill around this particular new procedure, and he or she does it. They go through all of the simulators. They are the assistant for someone who's already doing the procedure, but the day comes... When that neurosurgeon is standing in front of a patient with the patient's head open, the neurosurgeon has a knife in his or her hand. He's about to take that that first incision. My question is, is he nervous? And I think the answer must be, no, he's not. He's not nervous because his nervousness won't do anything at all for the patient. In fact, it could kill the patient for him to be nervous or her. The point is, nervousness is about me. I need to concentrate on what the patient wants, sorry, what the patient needs. And for a speaker, I need to concentrate on what the audience needs. If I do, it will diminish and perhaps completely obviate the nervousness.
1: Interesting. No, that's absolutely true, because I think people, when they're terrified of this, it's because they're looking at how people will perceive them, which exactly, is not exactly. necessarily the important thing, right? It's you, hard to get away from it, though, for people who are not used to this. I'm going to ask two questions here, and um, you can give me your answers to each. First is, if you are starting out, if you're a young person starting out in a career, communications-wise, what are the things you would tell them to learn?
0: I, I, th- I think... I, I think I would try to underline the importance of practice, and because it's true, I'm going to be most comfortable with something I feel well practiced in. That's why we're so comfortable talking to each other face to face. We practice it all the time. We don't practice standing in front of a audience, a live audience, or communicating with the camera. We don't practice it much. Even if you do it, even if even when you were a professional broadcaster, Linda. Uh, yeah, you do it every day, but not all day, every day. And you would communicate with somebody's face all day, every day. So you get a lot of practice. My point is the more practice you can do, the better be your own best coach, watch the product and, and make decisions about what works and what doesn't. Don't berate yourself for what did not work, but look toward the future. And man, the next time I got a chance, I'm going to do X thing because I know it works better that's the first thing I would do.
1: That's for the younger person starting out. What about the person who's well into their career and perhaps hasn't had to be a great communicator, who's able to just do their job, not have to necessarily get on television, not have to necessarily get in front of an audience, and certainly not have to perform on a video conference call every day? Is there different advice for them?
0: I think so. And I think the advice is to look for the fun in it. and there is fun to be had in looking at an audience and understanding that you've made a difference for them. There's no better way to change. uh, Let me start over. There's no better way to get your point across to a good number of people all at once than to be in front of a camera or to be in front of a good-sized audience. There's no better way. So, If I'm going to be doing it, in fact, no matter what I'm going to be doing, I need to have some claim to it's being fun, fun for me and fun for other people. It's part of that experience, part of the Venn diagram I was talking about before, if you offer the audience an experience that experience is going to be fun and energizing and useful and dynamic and as though not having heard this person speak your life would be uh, would be less valuable so if if i can if i can get to that point myself and allow myself to have fun in doing it my audience is going to have fun too and the experience side of things will be uh, will be raised significantly.
1: Nick, thanks so much for joining us today.
0: Thank you, Linda. It was, it, speaking of fun, it was fun for me. Absolutely. Nick Daly is president of
1: intentional communications.
0: To learn more about work and the future and to see show notes, go to theworkandthefuturepodcast.com. You can also contact us at comments at theworkandthefuturepodcast.com. The Work in the Future podcast with Linda Nazareth is a Relentless Economics production.